Hello, TSF family. We wanted to start off by saying thank you. Thank you for listening to this podcast and for your hard work to love yourself more and for your feedback. Can you believe it's been three years that we've been doing this spiritual fix and it has been such a beautiful labor of love for Anna and me. We have loved doing this work. We've loved hearing from you and we love exploring ourselves and each other alongside our listeners. We wanted to put out the call for three ways that you can help support us to support you. One, we would love you to leave us a review on iTunes or follow us on Spotify. Two, drop us an email and let us know how much the podcast means to you. And three, you can donate monthly or even just once to our PayPal patronage. Every little bit helps and we are so grateful to those of you who have donated already. Thank you. You help make this podcast possible. Thanks, y'all. You can go to our website, www.thisspiritualfix.com for information on how to pledge as well as to email us. When you bring your child home for the first time, you want a baby monitor you can trust. When you choose Stork, you choose technology trusted to monitor 10 million babies in hospitals every year. Stork continuously tracks your baby's pulse rate, oxygen saturation, and temperature. Visit MassimoStork.com to learn more. Stork, a revolutionary baby monitor, is born. Stork is not a medical device. Read and understand all product labeling. Massimo data on file. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Hello, TSF family, and welcome to episode five, season five of This Spiritual Fix. Today we are doing a first, and we will be interviewing again Jay Fields while we talk about growing up some more in part three of this four-part series. Enjoy. This spiritual fix. Two mystical mamas hacking the self-help game. With Anna Stromquist and Christina Rizzi. Jay Fields is an educator, coach, and author who has taught the principles of embodied social and emotional intelligence to individuals and organizations for 20 years. Her approach to helping people have their own back at work and in life is grounded, playful, empathetic, and intelligent. Jay received her BA in Psychosocial Health and Human Movement from the College of William and Mary and her Master's in Integral Transformative Education from Prescott College. She is the author of the book Teaching People Not Poses and the LinkedIn Learning Courses Managing Your Emotions at Work and Practices for Regulating Your Nervous System and Reducing Stress. Hello, Anna. Hey, Christina. How are you? Good. We're doing something we have yet to have done ever, which is to have a guest on the show for the second time. Yes. I'm so excited. We have Jay Fields back today to talk to us. Yes. And if you haven't listened to that previous episode, it's linked in the show notes. You might want to go start with that episode. The reason why we wanted Jay back is because that episode was extremely important to both of us in terms of growing up and I don't know, self-love and like making sense of all of it and not judging ourselves so harshly and recognizing so many things. So that episode was awesome. And we're like, we have to have Jay back on because there's just so much more 
that we need to know. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so welcome, Jay. Welcome, Jay. I had, oh my gosh. I had no idea. This is a first ever. This is a first. Yeah. Oh my yeah. gosh. <laughs> with that. I didn't know. This is so exciting. I feel yeah. very honored. <laughs> well, that episode was so good. It was, gosh, I know for me, it really helped me with parenting and it helped me with self-regulation. It was so good. Yeah. It was so, it was really fun for me. I remember at the end of it, we were like, wow, this was, we should talk more. <laughs> yeah. It was really and, easy. And so I'm delighted to be back. Yes. Yeah. And, and for anyone listening and doesn't want to look at the show notes, it was the fourth episode of the fourth season, 404. Oh, great. Yeah. And, and I know from my perspective, I have to say that like, we, you talked a lot about polyvagal theory, um, <laughs> which is regulation and dysregulated or regulated and dysregulated automatic autonomic nervous system. There you go. Uh, <laughs> there you go. And I have to say from my perspective, like that really kicked off in particular me understanding about my kind of neurodivergence and the sensory sensitivities that I had and how it related to the autonomic nervous system, which mm -hmm. like broke everything open for me. And oh. then I got the privilege of getting to go and I was able to participate in your yours truly sessions workshop group program. Yeah, group coaching. Yeah. Group coaching. Yeah. And yeah. it was it just like took it all to a much greater level. And it was absolutely incredible. Oh, thank you. Uh, yeah. Thank you. Well, this is this is part of what makes this conversation all the more comfortable this time around too, is now I know Christina a lot more and I feel comfortable sitting here with you and we've been through a lot over those 12 weeks. So yeah. why don't you drive the bus and, and cause I could, I could talk forever about all this stuff. So you let me know, what do you want to dive in? Yeah. So I would love to start the conversation kind of with the understanding of, and this is something that we talked about in yours truly was, you know, we talked about in the first episode of this series about what are the signs of not growing up? Like, what is it, what does it actually mean? And one of the things that we didn't talk about in that was kind of the application of IFS mm -hmm. and kind of what it means to be parts led. And I know that you have slightly different language for that, but, you know, can you kind of talk a little bit about that, about like, that understanding of like self-led versus parts-led versus strategic selves instead of parts and like how that relates to kind of not growing up. Right. Which I, I love when you said this was about like all the places that we, we don't grow up. I was like, oh, I love that topic because I think many quote unquote grownups in the world are still mostly operating from childlike parts of themselves. So you mentioned IFS, internal family systems. And like you said, I have a different language for that. The language I use is strategic parts, but they're sometimes also called adaptive children. And I love that name for them because it, it kind of makes it very clear. These are still kids, it's kid logic in us that says like, I'm never, I'm never going to let this vulnerable young part of me ever feel this sort of pain again. So I'm going to adapt this strategy so I don't have to feel the pain. And the strategy could be perfectionism. The strategy could be being tough. You know, the strategy could be being aloof and pulled back. Whatever the strategy is, it is not a grown-up strategy. It's something that was developed when you were a kid to survive what you were going through and make it manageable. And it's persisted in a way that then you're 30 years old, you're 50 years old, you're 60 years old, and you're still kind of being like a child. So this is, you know, what we were talking about that sense of like, it's real, it can, it's nuanced. It's not like egregious, awful, necessarily behavior. Like if we go back and look at it from the point of view as being a perfectionist, nobody would say that's necessarily like something that's pathological. <laughs> It's the way a lot of people operate, yeah. But it's it's not self led, as you said. It's not coming from the the wise adult or the present day self. Yeah, yeah. Especially because it does feel like those strategic selves, those parts, are more caricatures almost. Of, yeah. Of real real operating humans, it's like you see something on TV or you, you kind of take something to its extreme. You take an idea that's almost like a childlike idea of what is supposed to be the best way to, yeah. to do something or something along those lines. And, and then you just take it and you run with it. And right. suddenly you find yourself 
Gosh, that reminds me, I was just talking with a new client yesterday about we were identifying her strategic selves. And and I said, you know, she'd never really heard of it before. And so I said, does this make sense to you? And she said, yeah. And I said, if you were going to like take a crack at it, what's what's one of your main strategic selves? And she said, well, I would say she's a people pleaser, like perfectionist people pleaser. And I said, if she were in the room with you right now, what does she look like? And she got this big smile on her face. And like kind of nodded like, oh, I get it, right? And then she said, first off, she's skinny, which was a really big deal for her because she she has body issues and eating issues. She's like, she's skinny. And I said, what does she dress like? She goes, oh my God, she's got all the cute outfits on that I can't ever seem to pull off. Or like, you know, I don't have the time to, to care that much in the morning because I got to take care of my kids and get to work, all that stuff. Like, so it's like, she's skinny. She's, she's perfect looking. Her hair is always in the right place. She's done her makeup and, and she's kind of aloof, you know? And I was like, that makes total sense. And like perfect, like you said, caricature. This is what she got told. Many of us got told and from an early age is appropriate and acceptable and lovable. So this is, this is the part of her who's basically talking to her own head every day being like, be like this or you won't be accepted. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's not who she is. Yeah. Yeah. We, we, it's so interesting too, because like, I feel like when we are with other people, we have a tendency to think that they're like that as well. That like, if someone's got a part that's operating, like if they have that perfectionist part, or if they have a part that we feel is toxic, we tend to think of them as, as their whole, like that kind of one mind idea of like the whole self is toxic, not just like the part, which I feel like was like the really liberating thing for me when I read no bad parts was that like, Mm. you know, recognizing that there is a, a real, uh, that you don't just label yourself as I am toxic, right? It's like a part of me is toxic. And so if we tend to think of other people like that, then all of a sudden, like we tend to think of other people as having the one mind. And then when all of a sudden we pull it to ourselves and recognize that it is more nuanced and that we can be things other than that toxic person, then it leads to a lot of freedom. It does, And it leads to choice. I mean, I, I think it comes back to what you're talking about is it leads to the choice to be a grown up again and to communicate and relate as a grown up to a grown up cuz i you you named it there is that if i'm in relationship with you and you're operating from one of your strategic selves and i get that then it also gives me the opportunity from my true self to make a bid to your true self right if i'm not labeling you as you're this toxic person but I'm seeing, oh, this is the toxic part of her and how it behaves coming out. I can I can relate to you in a way that's basically like beckoning you like, oh, oh, why don't you come over here? Why don't you kind of step out of that part and back into you? Because this isn't who you are. And that's one of the ways we can really care for one another in relationship. Do do we have like certain parts that only come out with other people or are new parts born when you create a relationship with someone because I feel like I can sometimes be there's different parts of me that comes out in different friendships and different relationships mm-hmm. and I'm like are they always always there is this something newborn like the you know chemistry of like reacting with this unique chemical I mean I don't when yeah I don't late, know the, I don't know the answer to that on a like a fundamental sciencey level but I would say that different parts do come out around different people and different parts come out in different situations like you know the people pleaser part would definitely come out at work probably and personal life but like I was talking with another client earlier today and and she has a part that gets she called she called it like badass bitch like that gets pissed and gets angry and that part doesn't come out at work like she can contain that enough that it's not appropriate. So I think the thing to understand about the different parts is that they they mesh with what they think is acceptable and what they think is going to be appreciated. So that's where that kind of chameleon-like aspect of parts can come out is that they sense in a certain 
scenario or a certain person that they need to be a certain way to to be protected or to be liked and then they'll kind of come to the forefront that makes sense thanks yeah yeah um so the question is is you know we talk about being a wise adult or being ourself like being self-led right and you know there comes a point when we are in the process like obviously this whole series we're talking about growing up and part of growing up is having a better way of relating to one another um you kind of mentioned it before about how like you're kind of beckoning like if 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 mm-hmm. you see somebody else is in their part or their strategic self then you have to just kind of like beckon forth but you know whether it's through IFS or through parts work like what are we looking at when it comes to you know better ways of relating i mean i think the the most the simplest answer to that is the, you can look back over the ways that you related with someone in the, over the course of a day or the course of a week or course of a month and like who you are with that person. I mean, I, I think that's the fundamental thing is like, do I like who I am when I relate? Because so many people, when they first reach out to me, say like, if I'm alone with myself or I'm with, say, like my my best friend or whoever it is that they feel like themselves around I am great. I'm fine. But you put me with my husband or you put me with my sister-in-law or you put me with my boss. And like, I look back over how I behave and I'm like, are you kidding me? (laughs) You know? So I think it starts with being able to say, I feel proud about how I'm relating to this person. And the thing with parts is that usually those are the ways of our behavior that we just they feel off, whether they feel manipulative or whether they feel disempowered. And and because of that, they just set you up for failure when it comes to communicating and relating. Right. And they really set the stage for, I don't really like myself when I'm with a person or I don't really like myself, right? Again, that kind of, and that can even if it's, I don't really like myself when I'm with my mother-in-law or I don't really like myself when it's there, it can go, it can keep extending, right? Like if those parts keep showing up to, to just, I don't really like myself. For sure. And then that only reinforces the part being there more because those parts are there when we feel vulnerable or shamed, you know? And so it just kind of becomes this, this loop that you get stuck in. So the the question is, how do you get out? I guess. And that's, that's a multi-layered question in the work that I do with people, the way out is, is kind of two parts and then, and then a skill building. So what I would say is it's that combination of the nervous system, understanding the nervous system and how it acts up when you feel out of place or, or nervous, or like, you're going to have to have a hard conversation, combining that with understanding what are the, what are the bad habits you've learned? You know, what are the, what was the, the faulty blueprint you got in the very beginning for what it means to be a good person in relationship and how do you rebuild that? And so that between those, you know, kind of conceptual understanding of what does relating actually look like as a grown up, and the, the nervous system piece for you to be able to do it. The third part is like actual, actually learning a new language because most of us don't have language that's really relational. You know, we we know how to, this is true for 99.9% of the people I work with. We know how to be like, make us make ourselves small and apologetic to be close to someone, or we know how to be mean or cutting in order to create a boundary or stand up for ourselves. But that in-between place that is the grown-up place where you can communicate from your self-worth and your self-respect in a way that is also kind and respectful, most of us don't know how to, like, literally, like, don't have the language for that, (laughs) you know? Yeah, absolutely. Well, our next question was going to, was going to be like, in terms of relating to other people, do you think that's like the next step or like the icing on the cake of doing the heavy shadow work? But what I kind of hear you saying is that it it's kind of tandem, like how we relate to others is going to change as we do this work. 
right? Versus it being a separate thing. Or do you think that that there's certain steps we need to go through on our self-healing journey before we get to the step of like improving how we relate to others? It's a good question. I've seen it both ways. Like I've seen people kind of have to go through a process of really claiming themselves and understanding their shadow and understanding or kind of embodying more of their wholeness. And then they go, okay, now, now how do I do this with someone else? But I've also seen it work in tandem where there's, where as you're learning about your own patterns and your own shadows, if you're, and I think this is, this happens when you work with someone like me, if someone's there kind of pointing out like, oh, see what you did right there. That didn't feel good to me in relationship with you or, you know, being able to point out as they're learning this stuff, like, well, what did you, and I get the play by play and I'm like, well, what if you had said this instead? And, and you can watch like it changing how they hold themselves to see it modeled what it would look like to be with another person, if that makes sense. So like, I think it happens both ways where someone will like kind of get that sense of, I feel fairly whole and complete unto myself. Now, how do I do this with others? And it also happens in that like building block of like, oh, this is what it looks like on the inside. What does it look like on the outside if I do that? That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. That makes, yeah. So Christina took your course and I, first of all, thank you. Cause I see so many beautiful changes in her oh, and wow. I, I can see that as her friend. And I don't know if it was the, um, cause it kind of happened at the same time that you're doing the course and taking the ketamine, but I definitely see <laughs> combo big <both>. changes. <laughs> yeah. It was like a combo, uh, one physical, I guess. And yeah, but also, and but also the kind of mental, neuro, the neurodivergence and understanding those wow. things too, is that like. I used to get so overstimulated and I was just constantly in a state of overstimulation. Jay was like the beginning of the course. We talk about obviously like how to just get from on a scale of one to five, five being mobilized, one being immobilized, like how to just make those tiny little changes that make it so that you're just that much better. Yeah. Really helped me with kind of getting out of the state, but then the more I was aware of the scale, the less I actually found myself in a one or a five. Wait, is the goal to be at a 2.5? It's to be at a three, three, that's three, not four, three. Okay. That makes sense though. That, <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Three being that kind of like I'm regulated, I'm calm, but alert, you know, I feel like, well, that's the, the three is a wise adult. Yeah. The social right, engagement. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And like a four or a five or a two or a one are dysregulation and they're strategic, strategic selves operate in those worlds because those are the parts of us that are about self-preservation and safety as opposed to connection and relation. It, it's really only in that middle ground that we want to relate. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And so the more I kind of discovered my neurodivergence, which just coincided totally <laughs> with the core, like everything coincided at this magical perfect. middle time. Really, It really made it so that I felt as if like it was the perfect timing for me to have to be given the tools to help regulate my autonomic nervous system. And it really helped with that a lot. Yeah. Well, I'm curious if you, if you feel comfortable speaking to it, then Anna, what do you see is different? Cause that's a great, that's um, a it's, it's actually the tone of her voice more than anything. Huh? Like when she calls me or talks to me, I can tell when she's agitated, but just by her voice. Yeah. And her voice sounds more settled. I mean, I know that's like a very subtle thing, but no. I can, I can always just like the tone of her voice says everything to me. Yeah. 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 And that is a big thing. It, yeah. Anyway, yeah. thank you for saying that. It, it, yeah. It's funny you say that. Cause I literally just had a conversation with my husband, not even like an hour ago. And he's like, the tone of your voice, when you said that didn't really convey, this is my <laughs> husband saying this to me. He's like, it didn't really convey to me that you were just casually trying to make small talk. And I was like, <laughs> damn it. <laughs> yeah. Apparently tone is something I need to. It's right. <laughs> All of us. Yeah. Well, well, I guess my, my question then that like all that's leading up yeah. to the question, which is that Christina said that one of the major things that helped her in your course was recognizing that other people have different realities, that there's more than one reality. 
Yeah. And I haven't actually had a moment to like stop her and say like, what do you exactly do you mean right. by that? But, but what does she mean by that in terms of relating and conflict resolution? Yeah, this is, this is kind of a big deal. Um, let me see. Well, based off of what you just said, let me see if I can do this gracefully in the moment, Christina, when you said just an hour ago that you had this exchange with your husband in Christina's reality, maybe she is really trying to communicate something in a, in a positive manner that she doesn't feel stressed about. And she thinks she's being really kind and generous in her husband's reality. He might not have experienced it that way for him. It sounds stressed. It sounds like he, she's trying to manipulate him, whatever it is. I'm just totally making this up right now. And, and what, what happens when there's two people or three people or four people in, in relating to one another is everyone has their own experience. And to them, that experience feels real. And what most of us do, though, is we operate as if there's only one reality. There's some objective reality that we all agree upon. And that that screws people up relationally. Like if if her husband is in his reality thinking she's being manipulative and mean, and in her reality, she's feeling like, oh, I'm being generous and kind there's which one of them gets to win, which one of them gets to be right. And a lot of the relating we do with particularly the people we love is fighting for our reality to be the one that wins or gets to be right. And, and the fact is they both are right for him. It felt true that this is what it was like for her. It felt true that this was what it was like. And when we can actually give some grace for the fact that there's two realities in a situation with two people, then there isn't the need to like put put a stake in the ground and and fight yeah. for it. Like what would that look like? Cause like, yeah, we can say, oh, well, I'll agree to disagree. Right. Like that's what uh, people right. say. Um right. I never like that. Like yeah, it know. doesn't feel I, good. I don't know. I don't like that. Can we disagree to agree? No, I'm kidding. I mean like what 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 yeah, I mean, like? the the way that I, the language I often use about this is like entering someone else's world, right? So rather than saying, well, let's just agree to disagree, which still feels like I'm on my side, you're on your side. I could say something like, I can understand how when you heard the tone of my voice, the way I just said that, you would think I was being mean and controlling. I did not say I'm being mean and controlling. I said... If I enter your world and I see it from your perspective and I hear my voice in the way I imagine you heard it, it makes total sense to me that that's what you experience as being true. Do you see the difference there? Yeah. 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 Versus and, you meant this or you. Or... Yeah. Yeah. And and I'm still not giving up my reality, which is I wasn't being mean and manipulative in my world, but I can see how you would have felt that way. And And what happens between two people and, and see if you can feel this in your body. As soon as I say to you, you're not crazy for feeling the way you do, something softens. Because you're you're not needing to then fight to get me to see that you are not crazy for feeling the way you do. You know, it's like meeting, it's meeting people halfway without giving up what is, what's actually true for you. I'm trying to think of an example that well, I, well, I had a little argument with my sister over Thanksgiving. I'm like wondering how that could have been different. All right, let's do it. Let's try it. Okay. So me and my sister got in a little argument over Thanksgiving. She thought that I was exerting cultural bias over the situation. Mm -hmm. Well, of course I defended myself probably more than I would have, but, but, but like, how could we have resolved that? Right. Totally. You can't expect that the other person knows the, knows the rules. The language. The yeah. Or, or the, yeah. So it's for you to be, to switch channels in your brain. And I think this is what Christina was talking about. That was so powerful to be able to switch channels into like, okay, there's two realities here. I'm not right in her world. And she's not right in my world. There's really two different worlds meeting here. So one way to do that, and, and I guess what I would say is the first thing that happens when that happens often is also like you would feel, okay, I don't have to convince anybody that I'm right. Yeah. <laughs> so it kind of drops that 
edge to it where you could say, again, I'm not entirely sure how it went, but some examples would be, you could say like, I can understand how me saying that to you might feel like I'm trying to exert my way over yours. And I, I apologize for that. I'm, but I'm wondering if you can understand why that was upsetting to me. So what you're trying to do is create a, a sense of relating, which is, I want to understand your experience, but I also want you to consider mine. And it's when there's two realities, the work is not to get someone to agree with you, but to feel like they care enough to consider your experience, you know, because it's, that's where there's connection possible. Right. And when there's connection possible, then you can go, what, what do we do with this? But when you're still stuck with, there's one reality in this. It's like a tug of war. I don't. Yeah. It feels crappy. And that's what puts people in that place of like, I either have to, and this is language we use in the course, I either have to go one up to you so that I can pow have power over you and maybe get my way. Or I, if that's the case, then the other person has to go one down. I'm like, okay, I give up. And so much of our quote unquote relating with people is actually power struggle. Because if there's only one reality, their only thing to do is tug of war. Yeah. Yep. I remember we talked about that in the first episode of the series is like how control dramas, which is the, where I first learned about that terminology was in the Celestine prophecy, I think. Oh, right. That yeah. totally crazy didactic novel. It was like a little over the top, but that's a blast from the past. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but it talked about, uh, about control dramas and how, like, I think in that they only had two different control dramas, but it was all about like how, for the most part, we are taught the way to relate is by getting energy directly from somebody else. Yeah. Right? Yeah. 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 And so in that language, it's like the language of two realities or the embodiment of that is that you have your own energy. It's your responsibility. You contain it and someone else has their own energy. It's their responsibility. They contain it. And you guys like get curious about each other's experience. How can I support you? How can I understand you? How can you meet me in my my reality, you know, all of that. It's yeah. we're, because the other way is it's power dynamic, but it's also enmeshment. Mm -hmm. If there's yeah. one reality, then I'm, I'm hooked to you. Yeah. What we, about, what about when you're relating to someone, you know, like the term narcissist is used so broadly, but what if you're relating with someone who always is right and always has to be right. And they're never going to fucking see your reality. Like, I mean, yeah. So then it's just, it's just oh, <laughs> I, people can't see me, but I want to just make the feeling ah, like, right. like, like uh, you, you know, the kind please. of people I'm talking about. I do. Right? I absolutely do. And many of my clients have people like that as parents and that's how they've shown up on my doorstep, right. Is because they've, Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C., when you bring your child home for the first time, you want a baby monitor you can trust. When you choose Stork, you choose technology trusted to monitor 10 million babies in hospitals every year. Stork continuously tracks your baby's pulse rate, oxygen saturation, and temperature. Visit MassimoStork.com to learn more. Stork. 
a revolutionary baby monitor is born. Stork is not a medical device. Read and understand all product labeling. Massimo data on file. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. They've owned, they've been around someone for their whole life that essentially takes up all the space in the room and takes up all the air and their reality is the only way. And so with that, it isn't about trying to change them. It's about inhabiting yourself and communicating with them in a way that you give your own reality back to you. So I'll give an example. One of my clients has a dad who is a full-blown narcissist and she has two small boys. They're two and four years old. And when her dad is around her boys, he behaves badly. He, you know, he yells, he says stuff that's mean. He's a bully, you know, and in the past, what she had done with him would be to just kind of placate and, you know, take the boys away after he's gone and been like, I'm sorry. I know that doesn't feel good. And and I said, well, how does that feel to you when you do that? And she said, I feel like I'm like a limp noodle. Like I don't feel good about that. And so um, they had this experience where her dad yelled at her boys one day. And I, I said to her, I was like, if that happens again, I, I want you to say to your dad, you know, I, I get that you think that you're doing something good for my boys, but that's not how we speak in our family and do not do that in front of them. And I asked her, I said, what would that feel like in your body to do that? And she goes, first off, it would be terrifying, (laughs) but secondly, it would feel really solid. Like I could like who I was around my dad. My dad's going to be my dad. He's not going to stop yelling at my children and being badly behaved like that because I've told him to. But I will feel in my body that what I want and what I believe in isn't bad. So that's where her reality still gets to exist because she's given it to herself. He might not ever acknowledge it, but do you see how like in that situation, it would be so easy for her to just let his reality win out. But if she speaks up and says, that's not how we do it in our family, please please stop doing that. She claims her reality as valuable. So we don't need someone yeah. else to play along. It's sure as hell feels better, but it's that, you know, part of being a grown up is not needing someone else to validate mm-hmm. what's true for you. Not needing someone else to tell you that what you want and what you believe in is okay. You get to do that for you. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's, Brilliant. And I can say that it's interesting with the kind of understanding and just, you know, with the understanding of kind of recognizing the different realities has changed a lot of the way that I parent in the sense that, especially at the end of the day, because everyone's energy is low at the end of the day. Right. And it's like, everyone's in a place where they don't have any tolerance. And in some ways I almost see that as like, everybody's in a place where they're looking to their traditional sources their conditioned sources for finding energy, right? Mm-hmm. It's because you can't, you know, because it's like, yeah, you haven't, it's been a long time since I slept. So now I have to just take it from other people because that's what I was, that's like my, you know, old reliable method for doing it. And, you know, really understanding where my, you know, my daughter, who's always delaying going to sleep, always having something else there and then recognizing that it's usually something else. Like it's almost, it's, it it really allows openness and spaciousness where, you know, it's kind of hard to get out of the idea that you can be, and we talk about this in the authoritarian and authoritative parent episode Mm -hmm. episode that we just before this, but it's, it, it definitely gets hard to be to the place where you're like, well, I'm the parent. So what I say goes like, yeah. I feel like that's probably been conditioned into us for, I can't do it. Like my brother, <laughs> my, my niece asked my brother for something at Thanksgiving. And he was like, no. And I looked at him and I said, but why? He goes, cause I, cause I'm the one challenging him. Not right, right. 
And I go, but why? And he goes, because I said so. And the little girl, my little niece just walks away. And I'm like, holy shit, I've never done that. I don't, if I said that to my kids, they'd laugh in my face. I, I mean, not in a bad way. They'd be like, what right. do you mean? Because you said so. Like, give me a good reason. Right. Right. Which I love because I love watching you parent your your kids because like you always give these really in-depth explanations for why that's you what make they any decision. For. Right. It's very it's- exhausting though. Please. Sure. No, it it is exhausting, but I think it's that it's the example of, well, you know, this isn't how you're saying it, but it's essentially saying, well, in my world, what's important is this, this, and this, and we need to get this done. And if you don't go to bed at this point, that doesn't work. But I understand why would you, why would you want to go to bed? Of course, of course you don't want to go to bed. Of course. You know, so it's like, I think even like those little, that to me feels like such a gift that a parent can give to a kid as opposed to just like overriding and being like, you're going to bed. Just like the smallest offering is to say, of course, you don't want to go to bed. Mm-hmm. Why would, why would yeah, you? Yeah. You validate her. In a, you yeah. Know? And validate there's something about that. Like you've entered my world. You've seen my reality. You get it. That helps me, especially as a five-year-old to like set that down. I don't have to fight you. Cause so much, I think of the fighting we do as grownups or as kids, whatever it is in the relationship we're in is like, see me for God's sake, just like understand me for that's what we want. That's relating is to be seen and understood. We, I don't think even kids believe that every, every time they should get their way. I don't think there's, grown-ups who believe I want to get my way every time but what people want at the very at their very core from the people they love is they want to be understood yeah so don't make them crazy or don't make them wrong for what they feel or what they want but then do put it in context and say what's what's possible you know Mm -hmm. like like an example is I have this rule, like no questions at, once it's dark outside. <laughs> That's such a great rule. <laughs> My brain doesn't work. We're driving home from the airport like 11 last night because we were traveling for Thanksgiving. And my daughter says, mommy, what's communism? <laughs> I was like, holy fucking shit. Like, A, I'm exhausted. B, I don't know how to answer that. And C, like, like what, what, why the fuck are you asking me this question? So I just said, you know, I know you love to ask questions at night. Your brain works so well at night, but mine doesn't. And no questions after eight for mommy. You can ask dad. Perfect. That is the perfect example of you entered her reality. You said, I know you love doing this. This is how your brain works. That's so great. And then you asked her to enter your reality. But in my world, I can't do this. I can't. Um, and, and then, then you we say, listen like, to a whole Cold War conversation on the way home. Right. <laughs> that is hilarious. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's, well, it's, it's scenarios like that, that are just like so freaking real. And this is, this is what life is made up of. And if you don't get that in that moment, your daughter is not trying to ruin your life. And, you know, like, yeah. <laughs> that's the worst question yeah. ever. No, it's no, like, no. It's like, and I'm you, just like, I'm so, I used to though. There was a martyr time yeah. in my life where I would have been like, my kids are out to get me. Like, why would they ask these crazy questions at night when they know I'm tired? But like, they don't know. They have no, they idea. don't know. And, and the only, the, the, that martyr mentality is born from there's only one reality. And right now the, my kids are setting the reality and fuck, I guess I just have to go along with it, even though it's ruining my life. You know what I mean? Like that martyr place of, I don't have any control comes from it being embedded in ourselves that there only gets to be one reality. And that, mm-hmm. that stuff gets embedded in there when we're kids. And it's like, it really, I've seen it with clients over and over and over again it's a light bulb that goes off that changes everything. When you realize like, oh, if there's four people in my family, there's four realities. And that doesn't mean that everybody has to get their way because it's impossible. Mm -hmm. But it means that everybody needs to feel seen and understood. Mm -hmm. And then it still gets to be mommy's way or the highway kind of, but you don't present it that way. (laughs) Well, no, yeah. 
and my family, you have to give reasons, you know, for that. Yeah. You can't just say, cause I said so. Right. I don't even know you could do that. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can, but it comes at a cost. I think it, it does. It, it, it robs. It's, it's enforcing your reality in a way. Yeah. And it's giving the message that it's giving the message to the kid that your reality doesn't matter as much as mine. And then they grow up to be somebody who's a people pleaser and who is feels disempowered because they haven't had a model in which their reality gets to matter, even if it doesn't get to be the one that drives the show. Yeah, that's the difference. That's the thing that I see so often over and over again is like the heart of my work is your insides get to matter. They get mm -hmm. to be real. It doesn't mean they're accurate, <laughs> right? Like oftentimes one of the conversations I have with clients all the time is your feeling isn't a fact. It's your reality, but it isn't a fact. Mm -hmm. So if you feel like you just got disrespected, you get to feel that way, but it does not mean that's what happened. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. But yeah. the, the biggest thing is just to get people to understand that like what's happening inside in terms of their energy and their feeling and their interpretation of things that if someone cares about you, they'd care about that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So I kind of wanted to ask one question. I could talk to you for days and we haven't even come close guys to even covering what was co covered in yours truly. <laughs> Like there's so much, there's so much that's included. So, so just so y'all know, there's a lot in there, but one of the things that you were saying of just kind of reminded me of to like, you know, having only one reality is something that like a lot of us grew up with, but you know, also I always found it interesting that like when it comes to repair, which is something that you go into with a lot more depth kind of in, in, in yours truly, but like that with repair in general, when, when we've made a mistake, when something has gone wrong and, you know, we're having to, you know, resolve some sort of something that's happened, you know, the, the instructions, the instruction manual that we are given for the most part from our parents is just so trite. It's just so crazy. Like I was just thinking about it. I was like, okay, so I was taught forgive and forget mm -hmm. or or punishment. Like the, like mm -hmm. if I was on the receiving end, if I was on the victim end, I either needed to forgive and forget or like somebody needed to be punished. Yeah. Right. And that. right. And then, and then on the other side, like on the persecutor side, I just had to be forced to say, I'm sorry. Right. Mm -hmm. And there was no, there was no, like anything else behind that. And, you know, without obviously going into like, you know, cause, cause your time is precious and all that kind of stuff, but you know, like when we've inherited that, there's a lot of places to go. Right. So the question is, is, you know, as we learn better ways of relating, as we learn to become adults, what are some ways that we can learn better repair? Mm, gosh, I'm, I'm just trying to find the the most accessible door into that because there's there's so many different ways. I think the first part is to recognize that repair is not only possible, it's imperative. We get sold a bill of goods, I think, particularly in Western culture, that that loving relationship just looks like everything feels good all the time. We're harmonious. It feels good. We like each other. And that's not reality. Things become off real fast and routinely. I mean, think about in the course of a day, how many times that you do something that feels like, oof, I, I could have said that differently, or I could have, my tone could have been different, or my delivery could have been different, right? All of that. And and if if we're sold the bill of goods that things are just supposed to always work and be harmonious, we don't think that we need to make repairs. If that makes sense, it's like, cause, cause it's too, we can't admit that we made the mistake in the first place. So if you can understand that there's this rhythm in relationship, that's like harmony, harmony, disharmony, harmony, harmony, disharmony. Anytime a disharmony moment comes up, it really requires a repair 
Because what the reason why marriages fail, a reason why marriages fail over a long period of time is that you have so many little ruptures like that, that don't get just the really quick acknowledgement, like, Hey, I'm sure that didn't feel good. I'm sorry. And it builds up and it builds up and it builds up and there's resentment. So I think the, the first thing is to recognize repair is necessary and it feels really good when it happens and it's really hard to do it. Like I, I find myself with my husband now, like when I'm in the middle of a really busy day and I'm in between clients and I go out to the kitchen to refill my tea or whatever. And he's there and he wants to talk because he's got all the time in the world. And, you know, I'm like, I got two minutes. I could tell him in the moment, sometimes I'm good enough. I can catch myself and be like, honey, I would love to hear what you're about to say, but I have two minutes to my next client. I'm just out here to refill my tea. Can I talk to you afterwards? But sometimes what that comes out as is like me just kind of like looking impatient and annoyed and being like, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, okay, all right, bye. You know, <laughs> like I'm out. And then I think back and I go, gosh, if I were him in that situation, that feels crappy. And he, I'm sh he's a, he's a wonderful, kind person. I'm sure he can understand. Oh, you know what? She had two minutes. I didn't know that she's got to go. But how much does it mean to him when I come out after my next client and I say, Hey, I'm really sorry about that. I could have done better letting you know, I wasn't there to hang out. I just had two minutes. That must not have felt good to you. I'll try and be better about that. Like, can you feel how that would just soften any sharp mm -hmm. edges between us? And I think it's that, like, I think people think apologies and repairs need to be this big dramatic thing, but it's usually like 10 minutes after the fact. And so yeah. what is it? It's usually like a recognition that like, if we were going to break it down, it's, yeah. it's like a recognition of what you've done wrong, an apology. Yeah. It's kind of like you, you say what you did, you then quote unquote, enter their world by saying how you imagine that must have landed. And then you apologize. And if it's appropriate, say, here's, here's what I'm going to do differently. But it, it kind of dovetails with that conversation we were having about two realities, because it's, it's entering their reality to say, I imagine that didn't feel great. And right. here's, here's what I did. I imagine that didn't feel great. I'm sorry. What could I do differently? Or this is what I'm going to do differently. Right. Where does justification come into that? Like what if there's a mis misunderstanding, right? Like it's okay. like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. like in the sense of, cause I know a lot of people will like the other day we had this totally dramatic thing with the pigs and it was really terrible for my daughter and I, and it was kind of, we kind of saw it, both of us kind of saw it as my husband's fault. Okay. And, and he apologized to me, but my daughter really like needed an apology, right? Like she needed a repair with that because it was really quite traumatic for both of us. Right. <laughs> I'm like really alluding to this terrible thing. I can tell you guys later, but with the pigs, with the pigs, it was, it was bad. And, and it was interesting because when he was saying it, I could hear a justification for like why he had done the thing he had done. Right. Mm -hmm. That kind of put it into a position. And in some ways it really felt like he needed to say that. Like it really yeah. felt like he needed to, to be like, I wasn't just being negligent. Like you guys think I was just being totally negligent. Cause he put food into like a newborn baby pig's nest, which was like, not a good idea. Okay. And, and, you know, we saw it as like, why in the world would you do that? Right. Cause we were in our reality of just like kind of experiencing the trauma that happened after that. But for him, he wanted to be like, I swear I wasn't being negligent. Mm -hmm. Like I really thought that this was a necessary thing. And I thought I was helping. Mm -hmm. So does justification kind of fit into that repair thing? I think he you... was trying to show you his reality where he wasn't. Yeah. I don't know. Well, I, yes, Anna's right that he's, he's saying his reality there. And I guess the, the question I have for you though, is as on the receiving end, did it feel like an apology? The justification doesn't feel like an apology to me. The justification right. feels like it just like, I understand. And, and I get it. Like, I get it. Like telling it back to you guys. I'm like, he's just, he just wants to, to have his reality known to like, let it know yeah. that, you know, that's the case. But when you couple that with the apology, it really just feels like, right. Well, so I'm sorry, but you're forcing me to be saying, I'm sorry. And I'm right. placating you right <laughs> well, now. Well, <laughs> so then what would you have preferred? And, and I'm getting to an answer. I'm, what would you have preferred 
he say? What would have felt like an apology to you? It would have just been a total acknowledgement of my reality, right? I know I'm so sorry that you guys went through that. Like, it doesn't even matter whose fault it was. Yeah. Oh my God. This is like the missing piece in all my arguments with my husband. (laughs) (laughs) But, but, but truly like that, that's what it would have felt like if he had just been like, Hey, I am so sorry that you guys went through that. And I'm so sorry. I wasn't there to like help with the consequences of like what I had done, you know, and maybe, you know, later I can kind of explain something that as to why I did that. And we can work as to how we can work better in the future, you know, something along those lines, because I definitely like, I definitely called him at the time that it was happening. And I was just like yelling. Cause I was like, cause he was gone. Like he had just left yeah. and, and it was just, it was so terrible that like, I definitely had repair, but because he kept trying to justify whatever he was doing, I didn't yeah. do my repair. It almost like you stacked up the repairs, right? Because it was like yeah, yeah. that one repair yeah. wasn't working. So the rest of them can cascade down the way they needed to. I think something that is not necessarily agreed upon in all circles, but when it comes to like couples therapy and couples work, I personally believe from my experience that, that sometimes you that it's important to take turns with who gets seen like even though there's two realities it isn't always the the best thing to try and have them both seen in the same moment meaning if someone's really 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 upset and this is this is you know two people who love one another the first thing you do is you get that person to feel seen and heard and understood so that you can come back to that place. It all, for me, it always comes back to your body and your nervous system. If you had had your husband give you that apology that was like, I am so sorry that happened to you. I hate that that happened. Period. Full stop. Your nervous system calms down. Your edges soften. You get softer. And eventually he can say, you know, can I tell you what I was thinking about that and why why I did it that way? And you're going to be more receptive. If he does the like the half apology with half justification, it keeps you in a half defended mode too. So it's like, it's kind of tough to, to say when like what specific situation do you do that in? But I think you do it when you can't, if you feel yourself not getting regulated again, you feel yourself still prickly. Yeah. You can say to him, like, I I totally get that you, that you want me to understand why you did that. But right now I really need to just hear you're sorry. Because you know in your body, you can you you feel it. That's what you need to be able to be his teammate again. But but what if they say, I said I was sorry. I said I was sorry, but their sorry felt like so like placation. Like how can you get them to understand that the sorry you need is for them to step into your reality to say I'm sorry versus their the placation sorry. You know, you know what I'm talking about? I do, about? I do. And look, who knows if you can get them to see it, right? But what you can do is you can say, I, you know, I know that you said you're sorry, but I'm wondering if you can understand why to me, it doesn't feel like you are. So what you're doing there is you're asking a question for them to consider you because what can most you say people, it one more time, I've yeah, been yeah. running down so much of what yeah. you say. I need to write this down um, to say something to the effect of, I know that you said you're sorry, but I'm asking you to consider why I don't feel that you're sorry. Because what most of us do when we feel aggrieved, when we feel misunderstood, is we tell the other person what they're doing and we tell them what we're feeling, usually in great detail. And to go back to our conversation about growing up and like not growing up, this is what a grown up does to a child they think don't they don't under when they think a child doesn't understand. They tell them, here's what you're doing, here's what it's done to me, you know, and you tell them, you give them every answer. But if you do that, you're not you're not making a bid to the grown up in them. 
So if you say to say your husband, you know, when you did this, I felt this way. And then I can't believe you did this after that, because then it did, you know, blah, 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 versus, Hey, I want you to take a minute and consider why do you think I might be upset? And can you see how that's me asking that person? Yeah, like, you're hey, like inviting them into your reality. Come on over here. Take a look um, around. Yeah. Feel this out for- Get out of your fucking <laughs> shoes. Right. No, just and and I think, you know, most, most people who aren't narcissists, they get that. You know, like I, I did this with my mom years ago. Like she, I use this story all the time. Like she said something really mean to me on the phone sarcastic, just like made a, made a cut. Cause that's how my family operates. Right. And I know in her heart of hearts, she didn't mean to be mean. She just wasn't thinking it's just how it comes out, but enough times of that. And I was fed up, you know? And so I said to her, I was like, Hey mom, I am going to hang up right now. And I'm going to ask you to think about why I hung up. And if you want to talk more about it, you can call me back, but I don't want to continue talking to you at this point. And I hung up. And lo and behold, like five minutes later, phone rang and it was my mom. And she said, I get it. I'm sorry. That thing that I said to you, I can totally understand how that didn't feel good. And I didn't mean it that way, but I get how that's how it came out. And so if I had said to her in the moment, like, mom, I can't believe you said that, You're, you know, or like, or just hung up on her, which I would have never done. That's, but like, do you see, it's like, it's asking the other person, Hey, consider me, make this, make this part of your musculature, make this part of something you know how to do. And if you always give someone the answer, they, why are they going to ever think about you? Right. And they're going to do that kind of what I was saying, like what you're taught as a kid, like, Oh, I have to say, I'm sorry now. And then it's fine. And then I'm off the hook. Right. right? And I said it, I said the magic words. Right. I said right. the magic, I'm sorry. So now I'm good. Right. Like, right. You know, it, it feels very childlike to say that. Yeah. No, this is really good because one of the, the running arguments with my husband is he's so quick to apologize. And then he's like, why is that a problem that I'm so quick to apologize? And I'm like, cause it feels like you're placating me. Cause I'll be like, you did this. And he's like, I'm sorry, but I'm like, but I don't feel like you really mean it. I don't think you understand how I feel. He goes, but I said, I'm sorry. So the conversation's done. And I'll be like, I'll be like, no, it's not done for me. And then he'll, he'll be like, why do you keep going with it? When I said I was sorry, but I can never like put into words why well, it's, it's so fucking annoying when he just apologizes. So here, do you want some ideas? Yeah. I could say like, when you, when you apologize that quickly, I don't feel like you've actually taken into consideration what you're apologizing for. And then you could say, I'm going to be writing that one down, but I'll right? listen. Okay. Re-listen. <laughs> no, no, and no, then no. You... I, I will write it down like later. Okay. I don't yeah. when you and I think the other thing is like, you can be, you can be playful and funny about this sort of stuff. Like you could say like, it would mean the world to me if the next time you did something that you felt sorry for, you didn't apologize for like a whole day. <laughs> Right. Like it would mean the world to me if you didn't apologize to me right now and you waited to say something that felt genuine. Oh, you're a badass. Thank you. Right. Like give them the, give them the keys. Be like, here, yeah. here's how you get in. Like yeah. here's, here's what makes me feel great. And then give me five reasons why that hurt me. No, I'm kidding. No. Exactly. <laughs> I need a dissertation on my desk. I want a PowerPoint <laughs> presentation. No. <laughs> It's, but yeah. I think it always comes back to like, how does it feel? And, and I think if you did, I don't know your husband, but my sense is if you did that and your husband, like I can imagine in the, in the moment he gets like, like tight and like, <clears throat> I've done something wrong. It's bad. But like, if he works it through and he comes back in a day and he apologizes and he gets like a big old hug from you or like a genuine kiss on the lips and like, he gets to go, Oh wow, that worked. Right. Like and it feels good. It feels close. It feels like relating. Mm. Like we get to be imperfect with each other. Like that's relating doesn't mean perfection and harmony. Relating means we get to be messy. But if you can cop to it 
and then give someone the keys to how to be good to you. That's really that. Give people the keys. Exactly. And you have given us so many keys, Jay, today. So Thank fun. you so much. I love yes. this stuff. I'm like, yeah. give, me, give me your scenarios. Let's do this. I love it. No, I'm like totally going to like write this on my hand next time we fight or something. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Let me read my script, babe. Hold Jay on. Feels Hold on. To say. <laughs> Wait, <laughs> let me get my notes. Yeah. And, and y'all, as I mentioned before, so much of this and more is in the yours truly course, which is going to be enrolling soon. Right, Jay? Yeah. Yeah. The course opens up in February, but we're going to be enrolling in January. So awesome. It's happening. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much for, for having me back. I, I hope I get to have a plaque on the wall somewhere that says I got to (laughs) come back for the second time. Yeah. First, second timer ever. (laughs) It's so fun yeah. to talk with you ladies. Yeah. Thank, thank you, you so, so much. much for, yeah. Thank you for your insights. Thank you for all your knowledge. My pleasure. If you're interested in seeing if you're a good fit for yours truly, you can find more information and how to apply at j-fields.com forward slash yours dash truly. And remember. Humility, gratitude, acceptance, done. Let me tell y'all a riddle. There are four girls and four apples in a basket. Every girl takes an apple, yet one apple remains in the basket. How is this possible? The answer, one girl took the basket. She took the last apple while it was in the basket. Sometimes all it takes is a perspective shift. This is my specialty, y'all, and I am opening up two spots in the next two months for dedicated journeyers to work with me to find peace, purpose, and most importantly, perspective. In these journeys, we co-create a curriculum that suits your current blocks, goals, and needs, and we use all the tools, shadow work, books, fiction, remote viewing, intuition, meditation, guided journeys, energy healing, dreaming techniques, you name it, we do it, and all to achieve a commonly held set of objectives. And if you're interested in hearing more, Book a free call with me at www.chriswilty.com forward slash discover. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets If you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Mini Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com.